Michael Mazengarb is an energy and environmental markets analyst with a strong focus in history with the renewable energy markets and policy. He's a hardworking journalist at Renew Economy, and he has kindly agreed to join us today on Environmental As Anything to talk through some of the stories that he's been covering over the last couple of weeks on coal, gas, and the transition to renewable energy. Michael, thanks for joining Environmental As Anything today. That's right. Thanks for having me. We really appreciate uh, Renew Economy's uh, hard work and your extraordinary output of uh, inf- informative <laughs> stories on, on the, inv- uh, the renewable energy and, uh, and the transition from, uh, from fossils. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's a surprising, surprising how much there is to write about it. There's just always something going on. Yeah. Good. Well, you've got, I've got a list of headlines here, so I think I'm just going to sort of like uh, throw them to you and, and sure. see what you want to say about each one. One that struck me uh, in particular was all Australia's coal generators could close by 2040 and it won't be as big a deal as you think. Mm. Yeah, this is a really interesting. So this story came from uh, comments from um, Ben Barr, who is the CEO of the Australian Energy Market Commission, nice. um, and some comments. Uh, from Kerry Schott, who's also the chair of the Energy Security Board. So these are two people who are um, basically been tasked with running Australia's energy markets um, and setting the rules. Um, and they were just sort of commenting that when you when you look at the sort of schedule for closures for coal-fired power stations, um, you know much of them will be uh, scheduled to close over the next twenty or so years. Um, you know some of those power stations will just be pushed out just purely because it's more expensive to produce electricity using coal. Yep. Um, and they were just like, you know, when, when we've got that sort of scenario playing out and we have a, a well-mature market for large-scale solar and large-scale wind projects, the emerging market for battery storage, um, we'll just be able to manage it. We'll, just, we'll be able to see it coming. We know when power stations are going to exit the market. And we have the capacity to be able to replace those with wind and solar. Um, wow! And so while while you know some will say that you know this is disastrous and and the grid will come crashing down, and the sky is falling, and all of that. yeah, yeah, if, if all of the coal-fired power stations close, um, they'll just like it, it just. It just won't. Like yeah. we'll, we'll just be able to manage it. It'll so be fine. Mums and dads of Australia aren't going to notice. They'll still just flick the switch to turn on the, uh, the, the, the their lights or the telly or the, whatever else. Yeah, mm. that's right. And, and you know, interestingly, you know, a lot of that is coming from uh, from just pure cost. Like, you know, ideally, if we had policies in place to take into account, you know, the impacts on climate change and the need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, that transformation would happen faster. Um, but the pure economics of it now is reaching a point where, you know, that transmit transformation is going to happen anyway. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of exciting. It's like uh, you either get behind it or or you're going to be roadkill underneath it. Yeah, that's right. And it's you know some of these, you know, for some of these power stations, it's kind of like who, who's going to be the last holding holding on the asset yeah. when it when it goes under, and that's that's the sort of the risky investment thing that's that's there for those projects um you know yeah it's interesting yeah so and and the another another headline you've um, uh, governments must prepare communities for this inevitable coal phase out now it's obviously Mm. a related story but there's there's this this preparation that needs to happen isn't there yeah and that that came from uh research that has come out of the australian national university um and was co-authored by frank jotso who's an economist with the anu um and they were just you know looking at 
you know, this, this sort of transition that's happening all around the world. Um, and there are, you know, communities who have been based around um, coal as, as the sort of main product of that region. And in Australia, that's, that's areas like the Trobe Valley in Victoria and the Hunter region in New South Wales. Um, and they're communities that, you know, really need to be um, supported and, and so that they can prepare for that kind of shutdown. So mm. when these coal-fired power stations close and these coal mines close, you know, we don't want to have, you know, what we've seen throughout history where those, you know, towns will turn into ghost towns yeah. because, because people will exit and the money will exit um, and, and, you know, those people left in those communities are, are left without any support mm. um, and so you really need to be proactive in dealing with those communities um, and the research paper just argues that you know it, it's it's not just about working out how do you replace those power stations but it's it's working proactively with the people in those communities to understand what their needs are um, and and help support them to to invest in new industries um, and invest in in sort of new opportunities for those regions. Yep, uh, I think that's uh, it's been called a, a just transition mm. among certain circles, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. That that uh, well, that's that's fantastic. That that kind of thinking is is getting out there and being being understood. And of course, but at the same time, we've got federal funding for coal power station feasibility studies uh, being yeah. referred to the watchdog. What's going on there? Yeah. So that's come from you know, there's complicated history for this, but this this kind of comes from pressure that was being placed within the Morrison government um, on you know, the, the need to, to support and underwrite a new coal-fired power station in Queensland. Um, and I think part of this was a real was around the 2019 federal election. Um, it was around sort of Queensland's Liberal National members, um, people like Matt Canavan yeah. putting pressure on the Morrison government to say you need to go out there and, and support us to build a new coal-fired power station because that's what Queensland needs. Mm. Um, and, and part of that, they, they found this um, company, um, Shine Energy, and they said, look, we'll give you $4 million um, to complete a feasibility study on this new coal-fired power station. Mm. We're now more than a year down the road um, it doesn't appear that that money's ever been allocated. Um, the Guardian reported that the the company was announced as the successful uh, recipient of that feasibility study uh, study funding, uh, and was then asked to apply for the funding two days later. So <laughs> it was kind of this weird, you know, just in terms of you know the transparency and the way you'd hope government would work. They yeah, kind of put the the cart before the horse and awarded the funding before they asked them to apply for the funding. Ah, oh, it's, um, it's surprising how often that happens with the, the, this this government. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, when you add that into that context around what was being decided about particular types of grants mm. and an election, mm. um, you know, understandably, the, the, that that was then been you know, picked up. Sally Stegall, um, mm. the, the new independent MP um, for Warringa, who unseated... Tony Abbott mm. at that election um, referred that to the um, Auditor General and said, look, you know, this doesn't sound right. You probably should take a look at it. Um, and the, the Auditor General has said, yes, you know, we'll include this on our our hit list for the next 12 months. Right. Um, and so it'll likely end up being the subject of an audit by the, um, the, the Auditor General, um, who's the same body they picked up the sports grants 
saga um, and, and picked up all of that stuff. So, so um, great, that, so great that we do have checks and balances within our uh, parliamentary yeah, system to some extent. Right. Some, yeah, some sort of cop on the beat, and I guess an ongoing story for you to be uh, be aware of. You, of course, I'm sure you'll be be following up on that as details emerge. Yeah, and, and I mean it's an interesting one because it's you know there's a lot of lot of funding announcements that have been announced um, or or flagged by the the current government, but are not really progressing anywhere. You know, mm. they're, they're pushing this this UNGI program, the Underwriting New Generation Investments Program. Um, there's been a lot of sort of talk of, of funding being committed under that program, but nothing actually happening. There's nothing yeah. being built. There's no money being used to support projects so um yeah there's something odd going on so is 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 there yeah there is something odd going on there is it is it that they can't find funders for their preferred technologies is that is that part of the problem i think that's that's probably part of it Mm. um i think they're trying to find the right projects that they uh will find palatable Mm. um part of it is that i think um you know there's there's a lot of lot of money that needs to be you know that they're offering up into these projects and to be able to offer that funding requires um, the legislation and the expenditure to be authorised by Parliament. Mm. Um, and if they go ahead and, and provide that funding without that authorisation, it's effectively unconstitutional. Um, and with Parliament again currently suspended um, and the parliamentary agenda kind of being dominated by the, the coronavirus response, yeah, of course. Um, they you know, all of this stuff is, it seems to have been put on the back burner. Um, but uh, they, they, don't, don't, they don't want to admit that. Like, they're not, they won't tell you that, that you know, they're kind of hamstrung because, um, you know, all of this, the Morrison government's energy stuff has been put on the back burner so that they can deal with um, the COVID response. Right. Um, but I, I suspect that's what it is. Um, yeah, I wonder if that's uh, you know like going to end up being a, a good thing in some ways where they haven't been able to ram through their agenda because they've been too busy. But um, the central banks, including RBA, urge rapid coal phase out to meet Paris climate goals. Yeah, that's a, a an exciting story. Related again, like they can't find funding for uh, for their preferred options. Perhaps uh, this is part of the reason why. Yeah, this is another example of the kind of bodies that are talking about the need to to transition and to embrace a transition away from coal. You know, the earlier story was from some of the regulators and the, the market um, operators. This is coming from the central banks, including the Reserve Bank of Australia. These are pretty conservative um, institutions. Yeah, it's not Extinction at, Rebellion we're talking about. No, no, these, these, these are just organisations that are looking at, like the big, you know, central banks that are looking at uh, the global coal market, they're looking at what needs to happen for the world to be able to meet the goals of the Paris Agreement. Mm. Um, and that comes from a, you know, what is the risk, the financial risk that is being posed by climate change? Um, and, and there's sort of two types of risks that they identify. One is the physical risk. So if you have a warming planet and you have increasing sea levels, you have, um, you know, droughts or more frequent bushfire um you know they see that as a physical risk that'll right. that'll damage economies um the other is a transitional risk and that is the what happens when the global economy recognizes there's a, a need to transition um and if you're a country like australia and you're still trying to sell coal into a an international market 
that no longer wants to use it, mm-hmm. um, you know, how what have you done to your economy in that yeah. that situation? If, if you set yourself up to try and to sell a product into a global market that no one wants what you're buying, what you're, what you're selling. Yeah, you're um, left on the street corner with your stall full of uh, unwanted yeah. widgets, aren't you? That's right, yeah. And, and so the central banks go, look, that is a big risk and mm. you need to be ready for that. Um, and so that that's what that story was about. That yeah. was about, you know, big, big financial institutions going, you need to be looking at this and you need to be preparing to... to you know, a life without coal. Yeah, well, it's good to hear that the the, the big finance, uh, you know, institutions are thinking ahead. At least that they are. It seems the state governments are thinking ahead, and the and mm. the big big end of town in the business sector and the and the institutional sector are doing the, the job they should be doing. And unfortunately, not the federal government. Uh, no, anyway. no. But anyway, yeah. well, I guess they'll just have to follow sheepishly behind at some stage. Um, well, let's move on to gas. You've got a few stories on gas, which I wanted to quickly touch on. Uh, gas lobbies leaked power grab for post-COVID subsidies sparks outrage. Now, this mm. is something we've uh, talked about before, I think, that when uh, you previously visited, but the COVID uh, Commission, the NCCC. Yep. Yeah, so this is this is the body that, you know, this is kind of a hand-picked body that the Morrison government has established to advise them on the response to to coronavirus, mm. particularly around the economic response to co- uh, coronavirus. Um, they have, you know, the membership of this body is, is very heavily weighed towards um, the gas sector. Um, yeah. And, you know, everyone was a bit surprised. I guess maybe you weren't not surprised, but, you know, everyone was a bit sceptical about those appointments. Mm. Um, and surprise, surprise, that body has come forward and said, hey, probably... You know, the thing you should do to, to tackle the economic crisis caused by coronavirus is to just give the gas industry a whole bunch of subsidies. <laughs> give us um, more money. We'll fix it. <laughs> yeah. So when you go... Okay, we made the mess. We'll fix it for you. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it's not particularly surprising when you see a body that's been picked, specifically picked because it, it, it's got a large number of representatives who are friendly to the gas industry that then turns around and says, look, you should just give the gas industry more money. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's just kind of a, astonishing. While at the same time, there's, there's a lot of research, a lot of analysis that's coming forward um, from groups like the Clean Energy Council or the Australia Institute. Um, I think even the Grattan Institute has some, some studies that sort of show that actually the gas industry is not a great way to stimulate um, the Australian economy—it's—it's um, it's actually suffering at the moment because you know a collapse in global demand for energy because people aren't travelling as much and people are not um, using as much energy. Hmm. It's actually really, you know, almost crippled the gas industry oh, at yeah. the moment, and they're they're writing off a whole bunch of investments. Yeah, and they're, projects. they're in free fall around the world, aren't they? We've we've sort of been covering that that story. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's very impressive how yeah. how quickly they've slunk so low. Yeah. Whereas if you invested in things like energy efficiency or renewables, um, or improving you know housing quality, that's the kind of stuff that is actually really good at creating jobs, um, and will leave the Australian economy better off in the long term because we'll be more productive with the energy we use, we'll reduce our emissions um, and we'll be investing in a, in industries that have a, a long-term future. Mm, mm. 
Absolutely. Well, I mean, and a related story, which on that topic is the gas subsidies. Uh, COVID Commission asked to explain their backflip on evidence mm. to the Senate mm. committee. So there's, they're, they're not just uh, contradicting all the other evidence and sense and reason, they're actually contradicting themselves now. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I mean, one thing that's pretty interesting about this COVID Commission is that it's not particularly transparent. Like, mm. there's no... It's not publishing any of the work. It's not prov- publishing any of the advice that it's giving the Morrison government. It's exempt from sort of freedom of information laws. And so the information we are getting out of it are documents that are being leaked. Mm. Um, and sort of back in May, a draft report um, on these gas subsidies was, was leaked. Mm. Um, and then the chair of the commission, Nev Power, um, fronted up to a, a Senate committee, yep. committee and he sort of said, look, you know, this is just a draft report. Um, it doesn't reflect the, the views of the, the commission. Um, you know, we're not going to come out and advocate for gas industry subsidies. Um, and now, you know, we're just a couple of months down the track. The final report has now been leaked. Yep. And all of those calls for gas industry subsidies, for, for winding back regulations are still there, still being, you know, that, that's still being handed as recommendations to the Morrison government. Mm. Um, and so now this is raised questions about, you know, Nev Power went into a Senate committee and g- gave that evidence mm. to the Senate committee, um, which has now clearly been shown to be untrue. Um, and so you've got calls. This, is, this has come from the Australia Institute saying that, that they really need to explain, um, you know, what, what's going on and why, why did he, you know, effectively mislead the Senate committee the first time round. Um, which is, again, this is the issue that you you get when you've got a body that doesn't have to publish um, and is not sort of held accountable for, for the information that it's providing the Morrison government about it, how to respond to coronavirus. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, they're... they're um They've been been put on the spot uh, in this regard, but uh, you know there's there's not there's not the only misleading uh, claim. You've, you've got another headline here with uh, regulator rules. It's misleading to claim gas is cleaner and greener. Yeah, so this is this is uh, we've we've had a couple of stories which is about um, the advertising claims um, that the gas industry has been making. Um, yep, and they've been really pushing, um, you know. Recently, in sort of um, advertising that they've been pushing through Instagram influencers mm. um, and advertising they've been using on billboards, which is really to try and push natural gas um, as a, a clean and green source of energy, um, which is to try and you know convince people that you know if I'm using gas in my home, that it's going to be good for the environment, and it's going to be good for our our own health. Good old-fashioned um, greenwashing. Exactly, and that's exactly what it is. Um, And, you know, this has gone to someone complained about a billboard um, that said that gas was, you know, the cleanest and greenest thing you could use in your home. Mm. Um, And they complained to the ad standards um, body, which is sort of the industry regulator for for advertising, um, and they published a determination and said that that's actually misleading and it's a breach of the advertising rules. Wow, um, and you know, basically saying you know the, the the inference from that ad was that you know that gas is is cleaner or as clean as as renewable energy, um, and that's simply not true. No. Um, and so that 
then you know the the advertiser who was using that billboard is is no longer able to use that billboard. They've had to take it down. Yeah, well, that's good news, and and it's a good news story for a community action too, isn't it? It's like it's actually somebody in the community has just gone. Hang on a minute, that can't be. That's not right. And yeah. Take taken some simple action to, to to contact the regulator, and and it's led to this effective outcome where that's uh, the, the truth has prevailed. I I think that's right. I think it also shows the the sort of changing views that we've got of gas because for so long gas was held up as the the transition transition fuel mm. is cleaner than than coal um and we've really reached the point now where we've where we're looking at gas and you're saying well yes it is you know might be slightly cleaner than coal but that that still doesn't make it good no um and that, that's really becoming a prevailing view amongst the wider community um and I think that, that it's really starting to put pressure on, on, on gas producers as, you know, yeah. people are really looking for clean and, and actually green um, sources of energy. It certainly uh, put a lot of pressure on Santos at the recent IPC hearings in Narrabri where uh, expert after expert debunked that and, 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 and largely came to the conclusion that gas is, if anything, worse than coal. Mm. Um, you know, like there's, it's certainly maybe a bit of a marginal call whether it's marginally better or marginally worse, but it's certainly not significantly or substantially better. No, uh, you know, natural gas for the most part is, is, is methane, mm. um, which has some you know 25 times you know larger contribution to global warming than, than carbon dioxide does mm. um and so if you've got a project you know it doesn't take much for a project to you know if, if there's gas or there's, there's fugitive emissions from a from a gas project mm. it, it really doesn't take much for that to for any benefit compared to coal to be to be undone. To be actually lost, uh, yeah. That's yeah. right. Well, you know, no, I think, as I say often enough, nobody really wants a flatulence-led recovery at the end of the yeah. day. <laughs> but, um, <That's> right. <laughs> so, okay, well, that's, uh, let's, let's move on. That's great. The, we've, I think we've covered the gas stories pretty mm-hmm. well there, but um, the renewables are the exciting news that mm-hmm. uh, you know, comes out of all of this. I and mean, in the last, couple of, last few minutes that we've got up our sleeve, let's see if we can just run quickly through your, your headlines on this. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's kind of a... Kind of a bad news story, I was going to say. Taylor appoints his former advisor and prominent RET critic, Renewable Energy Target critic, to ARENA board. Yeah, that's right. And, and I'll point out that those are two different people. That mm. the, the, his oh. former advisor and the RET critic are, are two different people. Um, this is for the board of the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, which has um, been the primary funder um, for research and, and development in the renewables industry um, since it was formed in 2012 under the Gillard government. Um, it's sort of been under attack for a while. The, the Abbott government tried to abolish it. Um, it lost some funding under Turnbull um, and it sort of has these rolling board appointments for people on the board who have oversight of, of where the money is being invested and, and what sort of projects are being supported. Mm. Um, that board expired um, in sort of earlier in July. Right. Um, and so we're sort of keeping an eye out for, for who Taylor um, was going to appoint uh, to replace that board. Um, unfortunately, the, the chair, the former chair of the board was um, Martine Wilder, who's a sort of very highly respected um, uh climate and energy policy expert. Um, he's been around the industry for a long time um, and probably the, the best person you could possibly have as the chair. 
um, he's been outed. Um, he's been replaced by um, an investor who's apparently a, a skiing friend of Angus Taylor. Right. Um, wow. He's also... Jeez, I wish I'd gone to uni with Angus Taylor. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, again, you know, he's another appointment to the board is one of his former staffers, one of his ministerial advisors. Um, and then he's also picked... Um, another person for the board who um, was one of the co-founders of BAE Economics, mm. um, who, you know, they have been responsible for... They're sort of the, the, the Liberal Party's preferred um, modeler mm. of Labor Party climate policies. Um, and, you know, if you might, might mm. recall ahead of the, the 2019 election, they came out with a whole bunch of modeling that said that, you know, Labor's climate policies are going to destroy the the Australian economy Um, and when you dug through it they just used all of these just dodgy assumptions and overestimated the cost of renewables and Mm. um, just nakedly partisan uh, you know attacks posing as 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 credible research that's right yeah and so the arena board is now that you know the the makeup has has just had a very dramatic change um, and has now you know, mostly made up of people who are going to sort of be friends to the, the Morrison government. Um, and it's not what you want to see for the body that's, that's in, you know, responsible for our renewables research. No, we'd rather see the Morrison government being friends to the, to the, to the renewables industry, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, that's not such a great news story, but it sounds like uh, abject failure might uh, might prevail anyway because it, it's uh, there's uh, you know green manufacturing could deliver fifty billion dollar boost to GDP and four hundred thousand new jobs. There's not much resisting that, is there? No, and that's you know there's all this research um, that's come from the Australia Institute, um, and that's echoed by you know there was a, a talk yesterday. Um, economist Ross Garner was basically saying the same thing. Um, Basically, you know, the the gist of that is, you know, Australia at the moment exports a lot of coal. We export a lot of iron ore, which we then send overseas. Um, Other countries process that into steel um, and then, you know, sell that at a higher value around the world. Um, But Australia has such good resources of um, iron ore and renewables um, and basically all of the, the raw materials that you need to make um, batteries um, that we really could, if we invested in manufacturing, we could really use all of that raw materials um, to produce products like green steel, lithium-ion batteries, yeah. um, really value-add, like increase the mm. value of those raw materials yeah. and then export those to the rest of the world. Mm. Um, it's it's disgraceful the way that we we simply uh, give away essentially the the raw materials that we have at our disposal here in this country and 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 then and you know we could be multiplying you know, 20 30 50 hundreds of times in value if we were to, right. to just do basic processing the primary processing of it yeah and it's and it's it's sort of really worrying that you know you know we we think of ourselves as a really smart and innovative country um but we've reached the point where most of our exports is just we just dig stuff up and we send it overseas mm. um and we and we really miss out on on that, that exact opportunity mm. um to turn those raw materials into to usable products that are mm. so much more valuable and would you know create jobs and and boost the value of our exports yeah yeah 
Well, look, you know, it's it's great that, we, that this opportunity is here and people seem to be seizing it. It's great that you're highlighting it. Look, with literally a minute left to go, I'm going to just mm. run through a few headlines and, and I'll get you make a quick wrap-up on those. Uh, yep. The era of subsidy-free offshore wind turbines has arrived, so researchers. Yep. A new platform on track, Momentum, towards zero net emissions now online. And the Australia's big emitters signing up to cooperate on cutting supply chain emissions. These all seem like really big, uh, important uh, s- stories of, of, for the transition. Yeah, that's right. And they, these are these. This is business kind of just getting on with the job. Um, you know, these are not coal producers, but these are big investors. These are you know innovative companies who are coming into the space. You see the opportunity that is, that's there. Um, and really just getting on with the job in the absence of a federal government who has just sort of vacated the space, unfortunately. Well, let's hope the federal government can be the force to join the party or we can get a new one soon that will get on board because uh, it looks like a lot of fun is being had in, in the sector. Thank you so much, Michael, for, uh, for bringing it all to our attention and keeping us informed about this important stuff. No worries. Thanks for having me on. That was Renew Economy journalist Michael Mazengarb.